Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with former congressman and dean of Liberty University's business school, Dave Bratt. He sheds light on what the U.S. midterms mean in terms of China and the economy going forward. Congressman Dave Bratt, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So obviously the midterms begin the headlines. I want to go starting forward like you know I think one of the big bipartisan issues is the economy and China. Both sides have different approaches on tackling those issues. So where do you see this going? Well my preference and I think the the left has been associated somewhat with globalism right so we need to dig in there and see and ask you know, our congressional colleagues or Senate colleagues, you know, where, where are you on these issues? Uh, but the globalist uh, thing is, is worrying, right? And so you kind of got the Euro group, 27, 28 Euro countries already combined on kind of a pro-socialist agenda. Uh, and then their goals, uh, and it, it, I think the American people are starting to sense this, but it's not clear yet, but the, the, they want to get rid of the nation state. Right, which goes back to Westphalia and 1650 and all this stuff. And they want to have a global empire. Well, empires don't go too good, right? Roman Empire, French, Napoleon, Hitler, empires, right? So you hear this and the average person doesn't think of any of this. And so in order for them to have a, a, an empire, uh, globalism has to get rid of the nation state. So then you start looking around the world and what's going on, uh, Russia, uh, the bear, the mother bear, is under attack. That's a major nation state. Uh, China is cracking up internally for a bunch of reasons. We'll probably get to that later. Uh, and uh, all that firepower is aimed at the U.S. Well, Dave, uh, this sounds fantastical, right? What are, you, are you making this up? Where's your evidence, right? Well, so uh, Marx, right? Marxism, neo-Marxism, communism. Uh, what, are, what are their characteristics? Where's the evidence for these claims? Well, uh, there can be no God. So from the left, there's a Marxist attack on God, right? Marx had, Marx had no, no God, no ethics, no uh, foundational philosophical system at all. Very simplified, you know, class struggle. That's it. Uh, which they multiplied now from capital and labor into many buckets to divide people. And then uh, no God, then uh, no ethics, no rule of law, et cetera. Defund the police, there's some evidence. And then also uh, no family. What do, you, what do you mean no family? What uh, Drag queens in the schools here, uh, one child policy in China, is that good enough? Right, they've ruined their country, they got a demographic problem coming up. Peter Zeehan is real good for the people watching. Uh, go check out, he's got a ton of YouTube stuff on that, the end of China as a, as a nation state, the way we know of China. Uh, within a few years, within a decade for sure. And so uh, when it comes to China and economics, those things are just intricately woven together. Rand uh, reported in Bloomberg about a month ago, if China attacks Taiwan, and just a one-year war, there's a five to 10% GDP hit to the US. That's not a stock market hit, right? A five to 10% GDP hit our entire real economy hit by five to ten percent. The stock market's down fifty or more percent, right? So just devastating. The hit to China is even more. Our economy is China's economy, right? They don't have a consumer yet, right? They don't have a. They haven't developed a consumer base of a middle class. Uh, so they they go to war against Taiwan. The implications that they lose thirty percent GDP 
a third of their economy just goes bye-bye. And this is RAND, right? These are world-class, smart, PhD, smart, boring people. So this is not, you know, trying to hype stuff up. Uh, so that's just some glimmerings of what we're looking at with the economy moving forward linked to China, and it's a, it's a tight linkage. So given that, it seems like we're starting to see some of those trends here in America, that yep. globalist movement, the yep. socialism, the anti-God, anti-family. Yep. So given that, how do we defend against China if we're seeing the same things here? Well, the American people, that's up to the American people, right? It's a democracy, a democratic republic, whatever, however you want to call it. Uh, but uh, we've had leadership uh, since the founding, uh, which uh, came significantly out of the Enlightenment, which was based on human reason, uh, but it was human reason linked with the Judeo-Christian religious tradition, right? Cambridge was Christian, and John Harvard, who founded Harvard, was from Cambridge, a uh, pastor who founded Harvard. Harvard's motto in 1640 is truth for Christ and church. Uh, so there's your legacy. And uh, all of science, by the way, develops within uh, Judeo-Christian West, all of modern science. All the universities were founded by uh, Christian. I went to Princeton Seminary. Uh, Adam Smith, a uh, quasi-Presbyterian out of Scotland, uh, the father of modern uh, free market economics. Uh, James Madison, uh, author of the Constitution, went to Princeton Seminary roughly back then. Uh, so there's your foundation in thought. And that system, right, it's a Judeo-Christian religious tradition linked with Greek reason. And those were the guardrails. And we've lived within that uh, for a couple hundred years. The West has lived within that, you know, for a thousand years, however you want to say it. Uh, so all the lessons, uh, we had the rule of law, we had political stability, we had geopolitical stability after World War, War, World War II for 50 years. And then we became richer than comprehension. So one would think you'd go, wow, that's cool. And instead of saying, wow, cool, they're saying, uh, the U.S. is getting cocky. We, we need to take them down a notch. They're the problem in the world, right? The U.S. is the problem. Uh, the country with the most political rights, civil rights, civil liberties that have done more for the rest of the world uh, than all the rest of the countries combined. Uh, how can you say that, Dave? Well, we had a couple arch enemies called uh, Germany and uh, Japan. Uh, now we're best buddies with them, right? Hitler, fascism, all this. We wrote constitutions. Uh, Germany was flourishing until they went globalist with this new energy policy stuff. So how do Americans do it? Uh, you just go back to the cookbook, what worked. China copied a lot of that cookbook, uh, right? And uh, a couple decades earlier, Deng uh, copied the cookbook, opened up some market reforms, and boom. And they, they followed part of the cookbook on the economic side, but not the political freedom side. And uh, Gorbachev uh, did some of it, but he, in, in the communist estimation, he did it backwards, right? So he, he opened up politically first uh, and not economically as much. And so we know the cookbook. Uh, it's worked perfectly well. Uh, the leading indicator on all this is K-12 education, which is a disaster. And higher education, which now at Harvard or Yale or Princeton, rejects uh, Greek reason, right? Nietzsche was the first frontal assault on uh, Socrates who's the father of, of reason in the West, uh, and the rest of it uh, is a footnote to Nietzsche and not to Socrates. And so we have some stiff headwinds coming at us, <clears throat> uh, but the, the, the good news is the left doesn't have 
a philosophical system or a theological system or an ethical system that they can name, which seems like that would be easy competition. But for some reason, there's not enough folks uh, that, that admire the tradition with the confidence and courage, uh, which all the founders had to, to move forward. So anyone out there listening, it's time. And Congressman, on that note, especially with China opening up their markets and the yep. U.S. letting them into the World Trade Organization, it seemed that was on the grounds of making China more liberal, democratic, yep. right. potentially. Yep. But it seems the opposite happened. Right now, the free market countries are less free because of our reliance on China. Yeah. But do you see any change happening there, especially with all the zero COVID lockdowns? Yep. You see Apple kind of moving yep. to India. Where do you see this going? No, I, I see huge change. China right now, the, the Evergrande real estate story, there's ghost cities, they're tearing down apartment buildings. Uh, on the investment front, it's easy when you start poor, right, the rate of growth, if you go from $1 to 2 it's 100% growth, right? So the growth rate's tremendous. Uh, but then after you build so many bullet trains and, and do so many apartment buildings uh, and infrastructure, then it gets harder. Where does your next dollar go? And that's where they're at right now. They are stuck. And uh, they have a 40% savings rate. So they can make a lot of errors uh, in where they put those dollars, but it's not looking good right now. <clears throat> and so on the investment front, they got trouble. They have bubbles all over the place in the real estate sector, et cetera. They have debt 300% of GDP. In the US, we're 125% debt to GDP. England is similar. England had a sovereign debt crisis two weeks ago on their gilt, right, the 30-year gilt, which is their long-term treasury bond that in the U.S. would be called the treasury. That's the most conservative thing there is, right? So we have this coming at us. China has that coming at And I, I, the most problematic thing for China is globalism is already done. <clears throat> so theoretically, it's going to unravel. The U.S. cannot pull out abruptly all, all the firms go bankrupt but they're they're coming back the supply chains are coming back that Peter Zian is good Mexico's the next winner <clears throat> Central America South America they start coming back and it is stunning and with COVID right the first lesson you learn I'm the Dean of a business school right Liberty University <clears throat> the first thing you learn in finance 101 is diversification <laughs> that's the first lesson so what do all the MBA uh, Harvard MBA geniuses do they put all their eggs in one basket China to grab an extra nickel in profits, right? Just to grab that next dollar, and they've been extremely short-sighted. And so now, uh, when you get into uh, financial planning, et cetera, <clears throat> there's this thing called fiduciary responsibility. So I'm waiting to see this now, right? Xi Jinping put down the markers uh, last week with the 20th uh, Communist Party meetings, and roughly did three things. He said, we're going straight on Marxist-Leninism, Two, we're getting rid of any market reforms, and uh, Lee uh, Kashung got demoted. He was the only guy that wanted a little bit of market reforms. And then three, they got rid of all the Chinese uh, peace and harmony lingo, and instead went to wear a war footing, uh, prepare for uh, struggle sessions, prepare for international tension, uh, et cetera. So now, if you're a financial firm and you're still investing in China, you, it's your fiduciary responsibility to state that. And I asked a few lawyers last week, I said, what if they say, uh, we didn't know, we weren't aware of that, <laughs> right? Uh, no excuse, you can get sued like crazy. And there were some other colorful words they threw in. And so this is gonna be very interesting now. Uh, China is on paper, no economic reforms, war footing, and we're investing there. BlackRock, hello, wake up, right, the trillion dollar man. 
this ESG stuff, Larry Fink was uh, challenged on that. Uh, you know, uh, ESGs, you know, this environmental uh, feel-good stuff and social do-gooder stuff and governance, go good corporate governance. <clears throat> and uh, Fink moves half of his portfolio to China. And so one of these guys, young hotshot lawyer, uh, Justin, uh, I'm gonna blank his last name, uh, but confront him at his own board meeting. He says, if, if, uh, how, how can you be putting half your money in China, their environment, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Uh, social do-gooders, it's a totalitarian surveillance state. And uh, corporate governance, uh, by the way, Americans don't know uh, to be on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, Chinese firms don't even have to pass an audit. You, every U.S. firm has to be audited to be on our own exchange. So we allow them on our exchange, they don't allow us to do anything. So globalism is coming to an end uh, soon, and that's gonna have a massive impact on uh, China. We, about 20% of our economy's traded, 40, 50% of China's traded. So the impact on them is much more, they need us much more than we need them. And uh, we're win-win. U.S. is kind of a win-win country. We want to be friends, uh, but to be friends, you gotta be our friend, right? You can't be an enemy and claim to be a friend. That was Dave Bratt, former congressman and dean of Liberty University's business school. And after the break, we hear more from him on what the biggest challenge is in terms of China and what needs to be done. That's coming up in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our coverage with Dave Bratt, former congressman and dean of Liberty University's business school. He sheds light on what the biggest challenge is in terms of China and what needs to be done. On that note, Congressman, it seems when China says win-win, it's they win twice, yeah. right? It's a little, a little different yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the investors, why do you think they are still investing? Right, it's like you see yep. the human rights abuses, you see, you know, the yep. economy, the bubbles happening there. Yep. Why are people still believing in the China market? Well, if, if you take a uh, kind of an intermediate case, look at like Elon Musk, right? So he's a libertarian, free thinker, creative, fun guy, right? He's hilarious. Uh, but he's put himself in jeopardy, right? He, he's, so the, the basic answer to your question is why do you go there? Because they got 1.4 billion customers, potentially. They're not there yet. And so, hey, when you see those numbers, right, you make a dollar off of 1.4 billion people, <laughs> you're a billionaire, right? So that's the answer, right? So self-interest uh, gets in the way. But now Musk is finding himself, uh, he's you know, got a gigantic plant that Chinese made for him. Boy, that sounds nice. Uh, but the part he may not have completely foresaw is now they own him, right? So the, the, this new father of freedom and free speech on Twitter is captured. And so that's just one symbolic little uh, cautionary tale. Why do they go? Because they, they got overwhelming numbers and wealth uh, and they provide you a deal that's too good to be true. And turns out it's too good to be true. Some of our African friends have found that out the hard way too. 
Speaking of, say, Africa and these yeah. other countries, there is the term debt trap diplomacy, right? right? Yeah. And we are seeing, I think, in El Salvador recently, China approached them, was like, hey, we'll buy up your debt. But given that, how is China able to do that? They're still labeled as a developing country. How are yeah. they able to go around sending, like, giving out all these loans yeah. and buying up debt? How does that work? Well, half of China is still in poverty, right? Uh, massive poverty, subsistence, above subsistence, but not by a lot, right? The eastern part's wealthy and growing and doing great. But they have a 40% savings rate. And with 40% of whatever their economy is, 15 trillion, 40% of 15 trillion is a huge number. So they can put a bunch of billions all over the place, right? Uh, but <clears throat> I, you're, you're kind of right, how can they, 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 it's not working out. The Belt and Road Initiative, Xi Jinping, I think is in some hot water uh, domestically with his own crew. Uh, because of malinvestment, right? So they were trying to set up this fantastic universe of connections for them for global trade and all that, while, if you're reading the tea leaves, global trade is crashing a little bit. So uh, they can try that, and then, you know, so they own the asset, but it's kind of like, you know, if the asset's in Latin America, Right. Good luck in the long run with that strategy. I don't think it's a winner, especially if you if you lose trust and friendship, which they seem to be doing rapidly. So given how entangled right now all the international global economies are going forward, do you see decoupling happening, especially between America and yeah. China? Yeah. And, and surprisingly, right, Trump gets all the accolades on that. And uh, he did, to his credit, him and uh, Peter Navarro in the White House on trade, was in fights with Lighthizer and all the trade guys forever. Uh, but Biden has doubled down even more so, which is shocking, right? Because in, in a way he's compromised and there's news stories all over the place on that part. Uh, but uh, he, he's, uh, he's playing some hardball himself uh, with China. So it, it's not a complete decoupling yet, uh, but I think everybody's kind of getting closer to the golden rule, right? Uh, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, treat others, right? It should be reciprocal. Any deal we give them, it should be reciprocal. They need to give us that same deal internally. That's not the case. And now with the saber rattling, first on Hong Kong, broke the promise. And now with Taiwan, whew, that, that's the biggie. And Related to that is the you know the, the the South Pacific seaways right and all the island building, and building up some of the Belt and Road on key pathways near India, uh, et cetera, because they they are totally dependent on oil and energy coming from the Middle East, and they know the U.S. is the only one with a blue water navy. They don't have that. They they don't have a uh, a mature navy yet. And so they want to go Taiwan bad, but now they're cracking up. Uh, but she, in this late, latest speech, going full in kind of Marxist-Leninist, it, it looks like he said, yep, we're going internal, right? The, he, they have signaled globalism's coming to an end, which is shocking, uh, but they are highly disciplined. And so uh, we'll, we'll see. No, no one knows exactly what's going to happen, but Taiwan is the key to the future. So it almost sounds like, in a way, China is starting the decoupling process. Yes. They're the yeah. ones leaving. You know, we'll see what happens with yeah. America. But yeah. on Taiwan, you mentioned earlier how that would be a huge GDP hit to yeah. not just us, but also China. Yeah. So going forward, what would happen if, say, America doesn't defend Taiwan? 
Uh, if they did, I think that's uh, incomprehensible. I don't, I don't think it's an option. Uh, and it, it's not really even the chip stuff, right? From what I've seen uh, on the chips, you know, for the folks watching, the China, I mean, Taiwan has all the mature uh, chip manufacturing. We're moving that back at lightning speed. Still takes a few years, so we're building huge new chip fabricating plants. Uh, so it, it's not just chips, but it's our pledge of global stability, and it's the and it's self-interest, right? The U.S. the 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 seaways there to all of Southeast Asian business and our friends and Japan and Australia are now teamed up with us on these issues. So uh, yeah, to give up uh, Taiwan would be to give up our friendships with all those countries, and all the markets and all the relationships and all the UN and geopolitical strategy. I can't. I can't fathom that happening. And so, you know, Taiwan is a symbolic piece. I mean, if you think back to World War II, right, the first moves into Western Europe, uh, you saw it coming, right? And then that's where you test the metal, right? See who your allies are, who your friends are. And going forward, especially as we're still waiting on who controls Congress, right, yeah. what's the biggest thing to watch out for in terms of China? That's a good, good question. I, I, I don't see much leadership or messaging coming out from either side, <clears throat> which to me uh, is tragic. Uh, the, uh, the left has morphed from liberals, JFK liberals. There was no doubt about their commitment, right? They, the Kennedys founded public health and all these good things and whatever. And they cared about people and the poor uh, and the working class, et cetera, and they cared about hu human beings. Uh, so Chinese, Indians, everybody, right? So there, there was a liberal, uh, root word of liberal is liberty. And so there was this commitment, and the Republicans shared that, you know, different slants on it, but uh, it was a shared uh, thing. Uh, right now, uh, going, it has to go back to those first principles I was talking about. The, uh, the Republicans do a better job of talking about the first principles and liberty, et cetera. Uh, but they're in play too, right? Uh, when you keep running trillion dollar deficits and putting your country in economic uh, severe risk, right? Uh, UK had a sovereign debt crisis and everyone's wondering when the US next Lehman Brothers moment, right? The, the, the UK thing was built because their pension funds had invested in high risk derivatives. Again, at, this is not the housing crisis from 08. But it, it rings bells, right? Your bells start going off. So you go, where has the U.S. done this, right? Where are we hiding the high-risk stuff? And so when interest rates are zero, you can do stupid things. But now they're going up, 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 one, two, three, four, five. I think we're at about now, and the mortgage is at seven. Uh, when those interest rates go up, now uh, that's going to separate real businesses from fake, light, lightweight uh, business you know, calculations, forecast, et cetera. Uh, so we're waiting on that. And uh, so it, it, long way uh, just to get back to the point, the, uh, the Republicans need to trust their first principles too and go back to them. And there, there is room for bipartisan uh, shared values on these things. Uh, but right now the, the hard left seems to have uh, the, the, the blue party going. And the Republican Party, uh, you saw last night, there was no uh, leadership prior to the election. I think that the philosophy was if your uh, opponent's digging a hole, which everyone thought on the economic grounds 
That's all you need to do. You don't need a lead. So there was no leadership position on anything that I heard. And so uh, it, 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 a great country requires leadership. China knows how to lead. I think they're leading in the wrong direction, but they know how to lead. And now it's incumbent on our leaders on the Democrat side and the Republican side to stand up for liberal uh, principles again that worked so well for, uh, for us for a couple hundred years. Congressman Dave Brandt, thank you so much. Thanks very much. That was Dave Bratt, former congressman and dean of Liberty University's Business School. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.